0: This week's episode of Kaiju Weekly is brought to you by Catsman Calamari. Pre-coated with a wonderful golden batter, these wild-caught rings will wow your next guest, thinking you did all the hard work, when in fact, you just tossed giant octopus tentacles into the oven for a few minutes and passed them off as squid. But they'll never know the difference, and you'll never have to tell them. Served with a sweet and savory tomato sauce to add a little bit of flavor, you'll be the talk of the next party bringing the appetizer that took down the giant sub. Catsman Calamari, it can't be stopped.
1: Warning, Catsman Calamari may be radioactive. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me for the next couple of weeks is special guest host Michael from the Kaiju Groupie. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing great, Travis. How are you this evening, man? I'm doing good. I am doing good. My cousin is down visiting uh, because we had a family emergency, so all the family kind of got together, and while... The family emergency wasn't so great, but the plus side of it is I have a family member who loves Godzilla as much as I do to watch Godzilla movies with for the weekend. So well, that, that... sounds
0: that sounds fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. I and on on a side note, I really you know I hope everything works out with your family. Uh, I hope it's nothing too serious.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I I think we finally it was serious, but I think they they were able to take care of it. So it's all good. And so we're all good. So, yeah, like I said, I've just been able to enjoy watching Godzilla movies with my cousin.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, that's fantastic. That's good
1: to hear. Yeah. So um, we have a few news stories that we're going to get into before we hop in, Um, but we want to thank everyone for joining us again this week. Uh, The last week's episode has not gone live as of the day of recording, but we are very happy that we seem to be getting a lot of support just from people who are looking forward to it, who are saying they're looking forward to listening. Since we have our special guest host, I am very glad that people have been receiving it well.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have been, um, uh, you probably saw my social media feed this morning. Uh, mm-hmm. I was, pum- I was pumping out some posts. I, I posted a special video to the, to the Kaiju groupie, the Facebook group that we're both in and, um, <clears throat> kind of let them know what was going on and what's going to be happening over the last or over the next couple of weeks. So I think, uh, it's going to be pretty exciting. It's going to be a good conversation. And I'm really, really, uh, happy to be a part of it, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we're happy to have you, because, uh, listeners, if you missed last week's episode, um we explained that Steven is taking a much-needed break, a much-deserved break, because he is a hard-working man, he has a big family to take care of, so he's taking a little bit of a break, so for the time being, we have Michael on here as our uh special guest host, and... Last week went so well that we've actually decided, I've talked to Stephen to have Michael on as a kind of guest host anytime that he wants. It's an open invitation to be on here anytime you want to come back and host. You are welcome to do it. So it's going so well. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. Um, this will be my first po- this will be
0: my first adventure into podcasting. Uh, now, I won't be able to be a part of every single episode because I, I just I just don't think scheduling is going to work out that well. Uh, but I'm going to do my best to at least be on every other week or so.
1: Yeah. So, listeners, all five of you, <laughs> uh, I hope that you Give Michael lots of love and lots of just praise because he's going to be a part of the show. He's been willing to come and join us and join the fun in our celebration of giant monster movies.
0: I'm I'm hoping there's at least six or seven listeners by now.
1: Yeah, maybe even. Hopefully, having you on will increase it by a few.
0: <laughs> oh, don't put that pre- don't put that pressure on me. Yeah, don't, don't don't do that to me. <laughs>
1: Oh man. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the news for this week. So we are recording ahead of time. So if there's any news that comes out between the time of recording and the time of the episode release, we will have to talk about it in our next episode. But as of the time of recording, we have a few news stories. The first one is a big one. We have the first trailer for A Quiet Place Part 2. A Quiet Place was the smash hit from uh, Jim from The Office. What's his name?
0: <laughs> uh, Krasinski. Shoot. Krasinski. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. There we
1: go. I, I'm like, I know his name, <laughs> but what is his name? I just know him as Jim from The Office. <laughs> oh, you put me on the... you, And, you know, I should really know that because
0: uh, my wife and I are re-watching The Office as we speak. We're on season three at the moment, and... Mm. I I should know that. I feel ashamed that I didn't I wasn't able to spit that out sooner.
1: Yeah, John Krasinski, that's his name. I couldn't think of his name at all. Jim from the office. But yeah, so A Quiet Place came out in twenty eighteen, uh was a smash hit, and I was not expecting us to actually get a sequel until uh, John Krasinski come out, I think, probably about six months ago, seven months ago, and said that, yes, there was a sequel that was on its way, and we had the first trailer for it. So, I want to uh, ask you, what did you think of this trailer? I, okay,
0: so I have to tell you something that I'm actually sort of ashamed of. Uh-oh. I did not actually watch part one.
1: Oh, my I have
0: I have not seen part one. <laughs> I want to I wanted to see part 1. Uh it was it was on the calendar for me and Lisa to go watch it, but for some reason I can't remember exactly what was going on at the time. Uh it, we just couldn't we just couldn't get there and then we kept saying, "Well, we'll just wait for it to come out on iTunes or or Amazon Prime and uh, to be quite honest with you, we are just really not movie people. We are more uh, episodic okay. TV people. So yeah. I really want to see it. Um, now, as far as the trailer goes, to answer your question, the trailer looks really awesome. Uh, we got that, I think before the trailer, we got that maybe 30 second or 20 or so on second clip uh, mm-hmm. or t- teaser for the film. And right. um, I... I For what little bit I do know about the film, I think it's going to be amazing, and I'm looking forward to watching
1: part one, and then turning right
0: around and watching part two shortly thereafter.
1: Yeah, definitely do that. It's a fantastic monster movie. It's a fantastic thriller movie. Um, It's so rare that we get these kind of small-budget, independent monster movies that turn out as good as they do and this one did really well this one was fantastic uh the use of sound i mean i'm sure you know the premise of the movie enough to know that the use of sound yeah the use of sound is so fantastic and so i encourage you to go watch it but yeah the second part john krasinski's not back in the second one but he's still taking on the directing and producing role i think um i know he's directing but uh we have emily blunt and the other members of the cast are back and it looks like they are out looking for more survivors of this kind of post-apocalyptic world where these monsters exist and we're kind of getting a little bit of a looks like a um kind of a walking dead theme going where the biggest threat may not be the monsters. It may be the actual
0: humans. I noticed that. And that, and that was something not to get too far off track that, but that was something that, uh, that was really interesting to me whenever walking, when the walking dead made that, that transition from being solely Walker threat focused to Mm -hmm. being like human threat focused. And I think that even happened it happened really early on in, in the series and then it just has progressed even more where now when you watch the show it's sort of like the walkers are second nature sort of like deer running in the forest right. they're just they're just there and you have to look out for them but they're not what you actually have to watch out for at this point
1: right yeah exactly and, th- and that first movie was so focused on this family and their survival and you got hints to there were other people that were left over but you didn't really explore much outside the family so getting a chance to explore what other people have done to survive what they've gone through and what they're willing to do to survive is an interesting place to take this I trust the people involved in this to make a stellar movie sequels usually don't live up to the hype of the first one I feel like this one's going to do really good I think it's going to turn out really good
0: Right, the first part. If I remember reading reviews about it, the first part was not expected. The part one was not expected to do well uh, because right. it was a low, it was a low budget monster film. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, this was uh, John's first uh, adventure into directing and producing yes. a sort of science fiction type
1: movie. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it was kind of. Yeah, and because of all of that, people kind of had low expectations of it, and it just blew everyone away. Um, I think it was really just excellent work, so I'm looking forward to this new one. So the, so the trailer was great. Um, now, Michael, it's a little too late for you, but listeners, if you haven't watched the first movie, I would encourage you to watch the first movie maybe before watching this trailer because it does kind of spoil a little bit about the last movie and especially with the monsters, because you see the monsters right away um, in the trailer. Uh, whereas in the movie, they're not really seen clearly until later on in the movie. So I think, you know, maybe watch the first movie first and then watch the trailer and then definitely watch the, the movie when it comes out. Um, okay. Anything else about a quiet place that you want to talk about or you ready to move on? I'm gonna move on because I I don't know
0: I know very little about it at this point so I'm just gonna wait go watch it for myself and then make my judgments after that.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, the next news story we had an announcement that they will be making a new kaiju film from Dae, which is going to be titled Nazura or Nazura 1964. um, That title's not 100 percent uh final but the film is going to be or appears to be a recreation of the lost dae kaiju film which was called giant horde beast nezra now this is a notorious film that was lost uh never got finished or never got fully released and so it looks like they are taking the concepts of that and they're building off of it and making a new film that is set to be released in December of 2020. So what are your thoughts on this, Michael?
0: It sounds really interesting. Um, after I watched the, uh, or after I read the article about it, uh, I got to, I got to do a little bit of research on the background of the film and, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Mm -hmm. sort of where the idea came from and it it looks really really interesting so i'm gonna i'm i'm excited for this one to come out later in the year hopefully
1: yeah and uh nizura is supposed to be about a giant uh rat i think it's or some kind of rat kaiju is what it's supposed to be based off of or the monster is going to be um now what's interesting is someone brought up that this film might be not a recreation of the actual monster film, but might actually be a, how did this get made kind of real life telling of the behind the scenes, the production of that Mm -hmm. movie, kind of like a disaster artist or something like that. Now that interests me really well because I'm a history buff. I like hearing behind the scenes type stuff. Um, And so finding out like what happened behind the scenes in the production of this movie that was lost and was never fully made or never released. And no one has really seen would be kind of interesting to me.
0: Mm-hmm. So if Absolutely. that's the
1: route they're going, I actually like that.
0: I, I kind of, I feel the same way because I am one of those people that when I, I actually do watch the special features whenever mm-hmm. I go uh, whenever I buy a DVD or a Blu-ray, I, I, I'm i one of those people that actually do watch the special features because I want to know how they made the movie that I just or a TV show that I just watched. Mm-hmm. And I, I sort of want to know how the how the I, I kind of want to know how the magic is done. But then there's sometimes that I really don't want to know because uh, I feel like it, sometimes it would spoil it for you. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, if right. they do take if they do take that direction, I think that's a really interesting way to do it than just remaking the same film. Uh, sorry.
1: Right. Yeah. I. I mean, I wouldn't. I would still be willing to watch uh, the remake of it, but I'm with you. I, I like watching the special features of things too. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'd be more interested for the kind of real life story of this film. I love. Uh, finding out about these movies, that, especially when they have a, f- like, really interesting story. Um, there's an interesting story behind the making of Apocalypse Now, and so they made kind of a documentary that about the making of it, and that was really interesting. Of course, I mentioned The Disaster Artist with the making of The Room. Um, I think there's just... Uh, I mean, Ed Wood, which was kind of a dramatization of you know his filmmaking and the stuff that went on behind the scenes for uh, Ed Wood's movies. I like those types of things. So if that's the direction they're going, I'm with you. I'd be interested in it.
0: And we can't forget the Mister Rogers movie. That's oh yeah,
1: oh yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Or it's it's already never mind. It's already out, right? Yeah, the the, the one with uh, Tom Hanks. Yeah, exactly I yeah, love Tom and, Hanks. Yeah, I do too. And who else would you get to play Mr. Rogers besides Tom Hanks? Honestly, like, I don't know. The the movie that he did as Walt Disney was was a really good film also. Oh yeah, definitely. Not necessarily true to the actual events, but he was fantastic in it and yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean he's just he's He's so lovable. Everyone loves Tom Hanks. So I don't think you could have gotten another actor to play Mister Rogers because no one else would have been as welcomed as this right. just beloved figure. So, uh, so um, kaiju? Yeah, so kaiju. <laughs> Tom Hanks is yet to be a kaiju. So, well, there is the movie Big. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> uh, uh, your so,
0: well, your your take on kaiju is so loose that I, I don't even know how to respond. Right? To it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> i have such a loose definition that the movie big counts as a kaiju film (laughs) um okay so moving on with the news we're we're kind of loose today i have not had much sleep so we're today is a loose episode there's only Um, so many times you can use that as an excuse travis i know i know well i'm always tired so it always counts (laughs) um the next bit of news the categories for the Crunchyroll anime awards for 2020 have been announced they include categories like anime of the year best protagonist best antagonist best director best character design and more so if anybody is interested in this list you can check it out at sci-fi japan.com they have the full list there I'm sure there's going to be a lot of
0: listeners that are interested in it. Now, anime is not something that um, I'm terribly interested in. I think it's the art. I think I think you and I had this discussion before that it's probably right. the art. It's probably the art style that turns me off a little bit. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I've, I've not been able to put my finger on on why. Um, mm-hmm. Or this may be a little little out there, but uh, maybe it's sort of the over sexualization of some of the characters
1: in certain anime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I can see, I mean, that happens in a lot of them, not all of them, but in a lot not, of
0: them. Not yeah. all of them, not all of them, but but it is, it seems to be a trope of, of that type of, um, of that, of that art form. So um, yeah. that's probably one of the reasons why I've been turned off by it or... Uh, but it's just something I've never, never really gotten into. But anyway, I found this article on sci as I was reading Sci Fi Japan, and I thought it was really interesting. Um,
2: mm-hmm. That
0: so interesting, in fact, that I thought maybe some of our listeners would uh, be interested in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's plenty of uh, kaiju in anime, so it the that the two genres cross over plenty of times and uh and yeah and i'm i'm an anime person i do like some anime but i'm not i wouldn't say i'm like hugely into it um i mostly like some older stuff not Mm -hmm. necessarily newer stuff there's a few newer ones that come on here and there that i like but i tend to stick to some of the older stuff but um yeah i'm not huge into it like some people are but um but yeah so Crunchyroll has got their awards for uh their anime awards for 2020.
0: And I'm sure that our favorite uh lizard will probably make an appearance at some point during the awards.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well yeah, because you have the, the Godzilla anime, so um so yeah. That would that would count maybe as a uh, best um character Antel- design. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: uh. I'm
1: gonna nah, I'm gonna stay out of that one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna stay out of that one. <laughs> it's it's something. <laughs> All right. So, uh, our next bit of news is collector news. Um, I'm not huge into the collecting community. We've talked sure. about that. I think last episode. Sure. So I'm gonna let you take over for this bit of news because you are the person who's kind of in that world. So. Would you be willing to take over for that? Uh, no, I'm gonna let you ride with it. No, I'm, okay. I, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I'll do
0: it. So over the, I think it was last week we got, or the week of Christmas or the week of New Year's. I think it was the week of Christmas. The, the more I think about it, uh, Spiral Studios, uh, and they're a fairly new company. Uh, but mm-hmm. they uh, pride themselves on making high-end models and toys and, and things of that nature. They released some images of their upcoming King Ghidorah statue that's scheduled to be released June of 2020. Um, mm-hmm. Basically it's, it's a figure representation of King Ghidorah, AKA monster zero from the 2019 film, Godzilla King of the monsters. Uh, it'll be made of vinyl and other materials. According to spiral and if so if you're familiar with um toy lines uh like x plus or bandai it's going to be made of that soft vinyl and, and probably a mix of soft vinyl and hard uh, uh pvc plastic is what i'm going to assume that they're going to be making this thing out of but here but so they did give us some dimensions to the figure and off you know as a side note this thing's going to be huge so yeah. here they are really quick uh the height from wingtip to toe is about 89 centimeters, which is approximately 35 inches. Uh, height from head to toe is going to be 62 centimeters, approximately 24 inches. Uh, so from head, to, from head to toe, it's going to be about two feet tall. Uh, his wingspan is going to be 135 centimeters, which is approximately 53 inches. Uh, Length from nose to tail is about 73 centimeters, uh, which is 20 which is approximately 29 inches. Uh, and, but this all sounds great, but here's the kicker. Uh, the kicker is this thing is going to cost. Travis, what would you say a figure of this size and this, this caliber would probably cost roughly?
1: Um, somewhere between an arm and a leg and my firstborn child.
0: Uh I was going to say more like a a right kidney but I think you're probably yeah. close. Um yeah. so this was going this thing is going to be this thing is going to cost collectors uh, a whopping $1,175. <sighs> um with the pre-order price of being $350 and the estimated shipping cost for this guy is going to be anywhere between uh 150 to $250 respectively um it looks like at the time of this recording spiral has stopped uh taking pre-orders so if you want or can't even afford this guy um you're gonna have to wait till june to see if there's any more available to pick this up
1: yeah now i saw the pictures for this thing and it looks fantastic oh it's it's
0: it's beautiful it is beautiful and i'm sure it is and i'm sure um that he is going to show up in some of the collector facebook groups that i'm in um mm-hmm. i'm sure i'm sure that there's somebody out there that's going to that's going to pay this kind of money for a vinyl figure hardcore collectors will eat this thing up i guarantee you
1: yeah uh just hearing the amounts that it's going to cost has scared my cat, the podcast cat, out of the room. Uh, she took off running as soon as we started talking about how much it cost. So it's like, okay, Daisy, <laughs> podcast cat out. As a
0: side note, uh, as someone who does, who is involved in the collecting side of the kaiju community, um, mm-hmm. I just don't think I can bring myself to br- to pay that much for a figure. Um, yeah, even if the even if the retail price was three hundred and fifty. That's still close to where I would be. That's still close to the maximum that I would be willing to pay for what is ultimately a
1: really well done toy. Right. And I mean, I understand the price point because this thing is, like we said, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's a work of art. But at the same time, I just, not for me. (laughs) I can't afford something like that.
0: It's definitely not, it's definitely not going to be a lot for a lot of people. Uh, Like I said, there are, there is a market for it, or else they would not be even be attempting this. Um, which what the really cool thing about it is, if you're familiar with X Plus and their Rick versions, which stands for Rare, Interesting, and Collectible (RIC), mm-hmm. uh, there's going to be, I guess, what you would consider the Rick version is going to be a light up. So if you remember from the film, Travis, uh, mm-hmm. when King Ghidorah was charging up his um his beams to fire on Godzilla and on Boston, his neck mm-hmm. lights up, and it gives this really uh-huh. cool a luminescent effect. Um, so the figure is going to have that, the, um, now oh, I, wow. I didn't pull the actual cost for that figure. So that's my mistake for not pulling what the, what the cost for that guy's going to be. But I imagine yeah. if, if the standard version is going to be 1175, I'm going to say that probably the, the special edition version is going to be probably two to $300 more.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, first and second born child, <laughs>
0: It depends on how much you love your kids to buy something like that. Right.
1: <laughs> so, oh, man. Um, going along with the collector news, we did have, I'm just going to touch on it a little bit because it's sure. kind of outside my realm. Um, but we did have just yesterday or today, um, as of recording, the um, some images of the Evangelion uh, pop finals. Oh, yes. Um, that yeah, are coming yeah, yeah. out. And they look, they look cool. I'm not a pop vinyl person, but they look cool. So if anybody's interested in the uh, Evangelion series, there's going to be some pop vinyls. And I forget when they're actually coming out, but they, they're coming out sometime soon.
0: Right. I think they're slated for sometime in the spring, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. It's not really soon. Uh, but I kind of glanced over the article, to be quite honest with you, that they were featured in. I'm not big into the pop vinyls either. I have a couple. I have... Uh, a couple of star wars and i have a couple uh, i have some from um parks and rec i have some parks and rec mm-hmm. pop vinyls but that's the extent of it for me but i do know people that have rows and rows uh and shelves full of pop vinyls and that's all they collectors that's all they collect are pop vinyls
1: right yeah the pop vinyls are a huge thing, and we talked about, um, in an earlier episode, me and Steven talked about the news of the Ultraman pop vinyls that were coming out that okay. were showing up at Barnes & Noble, so I figure let's throw in a little bit about the Evangelion uh pop vinyls too even though they're kind of outside my wheelhouse (laughs) right and before we get into our main
0: topic um i just wanted to throw this in there because uh, we're, we're still somewhat close to getting out of the holiday season and i found this on twitter and it was just a really feel good sort of thing to watch uh, in the midst of all the chaos and the toxicity that you see on Twitter and, and, and other uh, social media platforms, I came across this video and it was apparently posted by Jeremy Robbins on Twitter. Um, I didn't actually I didn't get his um, Twitter handle, but maybe we can stick that in the show notes. But anyway,
2: yeah. a,
0: it's a video of him and what apparently what appears to be his son at Christmas and his son is opening a gift. Uh, and what appears to be the SH Monster Arts King Ghidorah 2019 figure. And as soon as this kid opens it, he just, he just breaks down and cries. And it's such a sweet moment. It's such a really heartwarming moment, especially if you're in the kaiju community and you're, and you're interested in collecting. We all remember that moment when we finally get that first collectible or that first toy that we've been wanting and, and, you know, sometimes, uh, given finances or whatever. I remember uh, growing up as a kid, my parents didn't have a ton of money. And so I cherished every single thing that my parents gave me, um, that was Power Rangers or, Ky- or Godzilla or anything like that related. I cherished that stuff. And so I know mm-hmm. when, I know where this kid is coming from to find, to get something that you're, that you're, that your heart desires after. And it, it was just a really feel good moment. Uh, if we, if you don't mind, Travis, we can stick a link. In the show notes to the tweet, if it's still up. I I, I don't know if it's
1: still up, but... um, It still is. I just checked it. It still is. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. People check that out because we know that there's a lot of... I mean, in the world, period, there's a lot of terrible things going on. And in the fandom communities, uh, no matter which fandom you're in, there's... A lot of toxicity, a lot of negativity, so having something very positive, having something that's very heartwarming to look at, just is, is really good, so I'm glad that you wanted to bring this up, because it is nice to focus on the positive things in this community, and who knows if that kid has seen all of the other Godzilla movies, or has just seen the one King of the Monsters Godzilla movie, but... He loves it and will cherish that, like you said, just like any of us who were given our toys growing up. It doesn't
0: matter. It doesn't matter. I posted a a long post around, I think it was um, New Year's Day. It it doesn't matter when you came into the fandom. Uh, What matters is that you love it and we all respect one another and we all can communicate with each other. And I think in the post I wrote um, something to the effect of, I would love to see, you know, veteran fans, you know, uh try mm-hmm. to teach some of the newer fans about the history and the mythology behind the series. And then also I want to see the veteran fans sort of listen to the perspectives of the newer fans and see where they're coming from. Because a lot of them, the one thing that I've heard is a lot of them don't really care for the older films. Uh Now, some of them have good reasons why, and some of them have really poor reasons why, but it's all personal preference. Right. And at the end of the day, we're all fans. It doesn't matter when we when or how we came into the fandom. That's what matters is we can all get along and discuss these films.
1: Yeah, and since you brought that up, because um, I mentioned earlier how my cousin is down visiting and we watch Godzilla movies together. And one of the things that how he feels towards especially some of the older Showa Godzilla films is that they're really cheesy and he kind of just loves to watch them and laugh at them because he kind of feels they're really cheesy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and at first it was kind of like, uh, don't, don't call the things that I love cheesy. Those are the movies I grew up watching. But then I realized like, but he's still enjoying them. Right. He's just enjoying them a different way than maybe I enjoy them. And he loves watching them and he loves watching Godzilla. And he's, you know, still learning kind of just getting started in the Godzilla, uh, universe, really learning the details of it. And so whenever we're watching a movie, he's like, okay, so what era of Godzilla is this from? What, what era is this one from and stuff? So he's kind of, you know, learning all of that. And, and so yeah, there is that kind of veteran fans and new fans enjoy things in different ways, but we still enjoy the same thing. Right. So we have to just, you know, w- there's, there's no reason to kind of push each other apart. We need to bring our, bring each other together and enjoy the thing that we enjoy. And I'll,
0: and I'll end this segment. I'll end this segment with this. There is no better time than now to be a kaiju or Godzilla fan or whatever fan you are. There is no better time mm-hmm. than now to, to do it. So. Uh, right.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. (laughs) All right. So that's it for the news segment. Uh, What a great positive note to end our news segment on. We're going to jump into our main topic. Now, last week, I kind of came up with the question on on the fly, and so it wasn't really refined. I did refine it down before posting it online. Uh, So the trivia question that hinted to this week's topic – is what giant monster flick had to seek a permit to film on the golden gate bridge only to have it denied because the bridge was destroyed in the film. And then uh, of course this was because city officials did not want people questioning the stability of the golden gate bridge. Um, so they didn't want people to think that, well, if it can be destroyed that easily, I don't want to drive on it.
0: <laughs> and consider
1: considering um, the time period and considering that,
0: you know monster movies in general were sort of a new thing um right i can i can totally understand that because now people don't necessarily know or now people know that it's fake back then they may right. not have had that had that inside knowledge to know that it's fake
1: yeah yeah um so giving some shout outs to people who answered the question uh adrian settle i think it's how yes it is I say his last name okay uh he said godzilla 2014 that's a decent guess because the golden gate bridge appears in that um andrew Sealing uh said pacific rim cody kirsch uh, uh kursich sir? i think it's kursich Kursich. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've never said his name out loud, so I didn't know how to say his name. Um, the, he asked the question, the 1994 unused Godzilla movie, um, which I, I don't... Was that supposed to be set in, in San Francisco? Was that Stan, I don't know if that was... Was that the Stan
0: Winston film? I think so. Okay. I thought, I, um, maybe. So. Maybe. I, I forgot to follow up with him to ask him exactly what he meant by that um, because the comment was sort of vague. Uh, but I, yeah. I believe that he, he might be referring to the to the Stan Winston
1: film. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the 94 unused one It's the Stan Winston one. Um, but I can't remember if that one was supposed to be filmed in San Francisco or not. Um, so good guess, still incorrect. Uh, Larry Rodriguez uh, said Cloverfield, um, which took place in New York, not San Francisco. So... <laughs> Um, Mark Myers, uh, said Godzilla eats Pittman, New Jersey. Is that right? Yes,
0: that is correct. I had to do a double take. Uh, and there's a little town in New Jersey called called Pittman. And I thought that I just, I read that and I kind of just chuckled because it was obviously a joke
1: answer, so... Right. Yeah. Well, I did. I, I, I've said it before on the podcast that I said anybody who answers, even if you get the answer wrong, I'll still give you a shout out so people can throw whatever they want uh, in there. <laughs> and we actually got. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, we I was, Oh, yeah. And so I, I was going to read the two
0: ones that got it correct. Sure. But yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that we actually got two uh, of the group members who got it correct. Um, looks like David H. Tidy Jr., was the first one to get it correct, followed shortly thereafter by Ralph Calhoun, and they both answered with, It Came From Beneath the Sea. So, today's topic is going to be the 1955 Ray Harryhausen film, Uh, It Came From Beneath the Sea.
1: Yeah, yep. And oh boy, what a film! <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, yeah. I'll let you go through the plot breakdown and the cast and crew, and then we'll get right
1: into the our thoughts and feelings about the film. Right. So, yeah, it came from beneath the uh, sea. It is nineteen fifty five? Nineteen fifty five, right? I didn't have the year right. Uh,
0: I believe so. And it was nineteen fifty five. Yes, nineteen fifty five. Nineteen. 19-
1: yeah, 1955. Uh, like you said, what, the special effects were done, or the the creature design and everything was done by Ray Harryhausen. It stars, it stars Keith Toby as Commander Pete Matthews. I have a lot to say about him in a little bit. <laughs> uh, Faith uh Domergue, I think that's. I think is how you. I say think it? that's that's the way you say it. Correct. Okay, and then Donald Curtis; those are our three main characters. Because really, everybody else kind of, yeah, kind of doesn't really matter I can that see much. That. Um, and it was directed by.
0: Well, the director of cinematography was uh, Henry Fulich? Ful- Fru- yeah. Frulich.
1: Frulich. Frulich. Yeah, Frulich. Um You also had uh, Charles H. Uh, Schneer, uh, which was producer. He's a longtime collaborator with. Uh, Ray Harryhausen this was their first collaboration but I forget the director's name I had the director directed by Robert Gordon that's okay Um, yeah I just wanted to you know make sure everybody gets their just desserts right
0: but I'm sure that we're gonna Um, be focusing on on Harryhausen a lot in this conversation
1: right exactly exactly um it, it is interesting just before we get into the plot breakdown how uh people often refer to these movies as harryhausen films when harryhausen didn't direct them didn't write most of them uh it's you know he was the creature design and the special effects guy or the one who did the stop motion animation but his stuff is so memorable that his name is associated with these films more than anybody else. So I just, I find that interesting. Um, So the plot breakdown is uh, after an encounter with, uh, at sea with an unknown underwater creature, uh, the uh, Navy commander who was working on uh, one of the Navy's newest nuclear submarines uh, goes to, A couple of scientists, to try to figure out what happened and what's going on, they come to find out it's a giant radioactive octopus that has left its normal feeding grounds in search of new sources of food. And then after several attempts to find it and study it, they uh, track it to the coast of California, where it eventually makes it to San Francisco, and comes on shore destroys the golden gate bridge and starts attacking and eating people <laughs> so that's i think that's a that's
0: yeah that's yeah. a that's a good summary of, of of what the of the film is basically about and
1: and really i had
0: the uh this was the first time i saw this film in color i had always seen the mm-hmm. black and white version growing up uh on the T, on watching the old TMC and AMC networks growing up, it would always come on sometime later on in the evening. Uh, usually, mm-hmm. and usually on Saturdays, I believe TMC or AMC one, I can't remember exactly who, uh, would have a uh, monster movie Saturday or monster movie Monday. I can't remember exactly what right. day of the week it was. And, and a lot of times they would play films, uh, Western films like Harryhausen films. Every now and then you would get, uh, films like Gorgo and then, Every other every so often, you would maybe get something out of Toho, Um, but anyway, I was always used to the black and white version. And when we were doing research for this film, uh, I stumbled across uh, the colorized version on Mm. on Amazon Prime, and I was I was pleasantly surprised how well it was how well it responded to being colorized cuz sometimes when when you go to to redo these films in color they don't always look great uh and this one actually right. was one of the few that really does do does do a great job in color as well as in black and white and I actually prefer it in color uh i think it i think the oh, okay. i think the mood of the film is is better in color but vi- or i'm sorry in black and white but the overall visually, it's better in color because the colors, uh, especially for the monster itself, were, were very rich and vibrant. And the scene and the, the scenes uh, around it, mm-hmm. it, it blended really well with its environment. And, and they did a great job at, at transmit, at, at transferring this over to, to color
1: yeah i I'm the same way i am so I, so used to watching it in black and white um I've watched it many times before in black and white, but this was my first time watching in color and I agree the color did look really good it almost you know, felt like it was filmed in color it didn't feel like it was actually colorized um and so it worked so well. There was a few times when I noticed the coloring on the creature. Uh, was a little off in certain scenes compared to other scenes. So I think the, mm-hmm. the coloring for it kind of went off a little bit. But for the most part, like you said, it actually turned out really good. It did. Um, so getting into... um, Well, let's let's just talk about initial thoughts before we get into our likes and dislikes. What are your initial thoughts on this movie?
0: I went into this movie really hoping to love it as much as I loved it as a kid. Um, Mm -hmm. My, my first initial thoughts were it's not on my first thoughts were, you know, this really is not that bad Uh, for an older film uh, from the fifties. It's really not Mm -hmm. that bad, but on the, on the flip side of that, it is a monster movie from the 1950s. And so you're gonna get right. you're gonna get a lot of those film and television tropes that come along with that, um, right? You know, one thing that you get when you have a film from the '50s, especially from a monster a monster movie from the '50s, is narration. And there was a lot of narration mm-hmm. in this film. Oh yeah, uh, that was one thing that that kind of threw me off because I don't necessarily remember that being in the original version, but. Um, I didn't watch the black and white version to, to reference it to. So um, overall, I was pleasantly surprised by it. Um, but I could, it's. I'll say I'll save it yeah. more detail for later. But I feel right. I personally feel like it's nothing that's required watching for anyone who's interested in this genre.
1: Yeah, it for me. I've watched this movie quite a few times over the years, and watching it again for, uh, for the purpose of this podcast just confirmed my already feelings that I had for it, right. which is that I think this is my least favorite Harryhausen film. I can, yeah, I can get on board with that. Yeah, now that's not saying that it's awful it's it's not unwatchable but it is my least favorite one. I would put it at the bottom of the Harryhausen list of uh, filmography. Um, And so that's my, that's just kind of where I settled on it. Let's um, let's just go ahead and dive right in while we're on, while we're
0: on this thing. Um, What did you think about
1: the, the pseudo
0: love triangle between the commander, uh, the professor
1: and the doctor? So we're starting with the dislikes first. <laughs> because that was absolutely horrible. I hated it. It was pointless. It was annoying. It didn't go anywhere in the movie. It didn't serve a purpose in the movie. It was just annoying. It just it, it started
0: out, I think it was it, it was within the first 20 minutes of the film and it and it played out possibly through the middle of the film. And then it just, and it just completely stops. It just completely right. stops with no, like there's no real explanation why. Um, and there's really no, I'm, I'm trying to find words to explain. Uh, right. But it, it just, it like you said, it just did not go anywhere. It didn't make, it, it made some sense and I could see kind of where they were going with it. But, at the end of it, I, I just was really sort of unimpressed. I felt like that that part of it was just totally unnecessary.
1: Yeah, and and a big part of it might be my feelings about uh, the character and the acting of Keith Toby as Commander uh, Pete Matthews. He was definitely stiff. I mean his he his his acting and his
0: chemistry uh, with the actress that played Doctor Joyce uh it was de- it was yes. definitely lackluster in the fact that it it was very stiff it it seemed it yeah. seemed like a very unnatural it seemed like a very unnatural forced relationship
1: his eyes every time he looked at her were so freaking creepy <laughs> It was unreal. He looked like he wanted to skin her and oh, wear her come on. skin oh, come on. as a suit. She, no. It, it looked, every time he stared at her, all I could hear in my head was, Hungry eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the magic between you and... No, I just, it, his eyes looked like... Uh, all he had to do was stare at the octopus and with those eyes and he would have uh, beaten the octopus that so simply because just, Oh, it's so creepy. That's all, you know, that's fair.
0: That's a fair critique. I think, um, I honestly think that, uh, I mean, you're not wrong, but I think that maybe, uh, maybe it's a, it's a little bit more. I think you're dramatizing it a little bit more than maybe what it actually was. (laughs)
1: Um, I don't know. It was creepy. It was creepy. I got the creeps and the chills every time. He, he looked like Hannibal Lecter staring at his next victim to me.
0: No, see, he didn't, it didn't come off to me like that. It came, it came off to me as just stiff acting and a forced relationship. But I didn't get the, I didn't get the same creepy, um, I think I think you I think you called it rapey eyes or whatever or, or rapey eyes. Yes, vibes. yes,
2: it
1: looks very rapey. No. He's like there's a there is a moment early on in this film where he's like trying to convince the female doctor to take a break, and he's like, "Come on, let's take a break." And they walk off screen to go into this private area, just the two of them. And I'm like, "Oh my." God, he's going to murder her and it's going to turn into a Buffalo Bill, <laughs> Silence of the Lambs type thing. It was just like, and I've seen this movie and it still made me think of that. Oh, oh
0: goodness. Okay. <laughs> oh man. I, you, you went further with it than I really expected you to, but, um, but I, I, to, to dial it back some, I, I didn't get that. Okay. I, I didn't get, I didn't get that at all. Uh, like I said, I just got the I just got the fact that it, it just seemed. Like, there was little, little chemistry. And, and really the, I think, um, the part that he played where he was just this, this masculine naval captain and he, you know, Mm -hmm. he treats women as objects and, um, sort of that attitude and vibrato behind it, you know, that was sort of typical of the 1950s. If you think about it, a lot of, um, a, a lot. There was a lot of that going on in film and in television, and you know, you're. I, I'm not yeah. surprised that 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 those tropes showed up here at all. Um, but I, you know, I, like I said, I just think I attribute his. The, the I attribute the awkwardness. To just mm-hmm. stiff
1: acting and bad chemistry, to be honest with you. No, I, I just feel... I get real Ted Bundy vibes <laughs> from him, but that's just me. <laughs> like, just just blow the whistle! Get him away! <laughs> stranger danger! Stranger danger! Um, <laughs> um, so what did you... Th- but, yeah. What,
0: what did you think about the first tease of the monster?
1: Now, the the very first scene where they're in the submarine i actually enjoyed that that's on my likes list um because i like that they didn't show the monster Uh, because you know in, in the 1950s uh especially in monster films you know it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of suspense put into their monster films necessarily you know they showed the monsters and everything especially american monster films weren't super suspenseful but that scene felt like they did put a lot of suspense in there by not showing the monster only filming the uh inside of that submarine and what was going on in it it felt very suspenseful uh and so i actually like that that was uh that's on my likes list
0: um i think you're right during that like during that time period, if you think about other, if you think about other monster films, it was always, it was never very subtle. It was always like, mm-hmm. okay, this woman is walking down a dark alley or she's in a forest or she's in, um, uh, if she, she's in a dark building or, or whatever they're at, and all of a sudden, boom, mm-hmm. there's the monster. And it's always this, it's right. always done for this sort of shock value. It's like, oh, we've come up with this really cool monster design, and we want to scare people with how cool our mm-hmm. monster is. And uh, nowadays, um, in film and, and television, a lot of times you don't even see the antagonist until probably 45 to even an hour into the film a lot of times. And so in the old days, in those older films, it was like within the first 10 minutes of the film, there you go. And I think it was just, I think it was right. a shock value. Now I am not a film historian, so I can't speak to um, sort, of, sort of the reasoning behind doing it that way. I'm sure that there's other other folks um, that can do that better than me, but I, that's my impression of some of these older films. Older films is there's really no subtlety to them. It's just like, one second, everything. Right. One second, everything's good, and then boom! There's your, there's your monster.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so that was that. That first scene was kind of a uh, surprising, um, with how suspenseful it felt for the 1950s type of monster movie. Um, going back to, I have one more dislike I want to talk about before we get fully into our positives, which we're gonna stay positive yes. on this yes, podcast. We are. But, um, but. Dr Joyce she really defaulted back to just being a 1950s woman who was just kind of there for no other purpose than to be the romantic foil mm-hmm. for the male right. characters and like you said you know this this whole masculinity kind of misogynistic Thing that um that they had going on was kind of uh, of the time so it's it's hard to fault a movie from that time period to portray characters the way that people were in that time mm-hmm. period but coming at it from a 2020 now not to, i was gonna say 2019 but but you know from a modern day perspective it's very very poorly done just the 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 female character in it being so horribly written so horribly done and i think even you mentioned um in uh in the show notes how they kind of give up on her arc part way through because she starts off with oh you know, i want to be taken seriously as a doctor as a scientist mm-hmm. and then it's just kind of like well then she just defaults into this kind of nothing character that's only serving the purpose of being a foil to the male characters and so yeah i i really did not like her the way her character was done in this and the one thing i
0: think that where, where it really stood out to me was um it was the scene in the movie where the the they bring the guys back to the medical office to be in, to be examined where they had been attacked by the octopus and so and they mm-hmm. they they interrogate the guys they ask them all these questions what did you see you know the government official what I, what I assume is government officials are there um, they're asking them all these questions and um, you know what did you see what did you see and then all the and then they tell they kind of they say, kind of what they see and then all of a sudden in fear of being um uh taken into custody by the government they retract their story altogether and so they're in so you cut to the next scene uh and dr joyce or so Professor joyce and dr carter are all in this room with all the with his admiral and, and there's some other government officials in the same room and they're like why did they recant their story why did you know and they're trying to figure out how they can get them to, to tell the truth as to what they see. And then all of a sudden, you know, Dr. Joyce stands up, takes her sweater off, and uh, mm-hmm. she's like, "Well, let me go handle it." And so she use, and so she goes in the room with the with the sailor, and she and she's obviously trying to seduce him uh, to get him to talk. Um, mm-hmm. Now, a lot of now, I think it was two scenes or so before this. We had just came through another a long diatribe by Doctor Joyce saying, "I want to be, you know, I need to be taken seriously." Uh, Doctor Carter chimes in and says, "Well, you know, this is this is a new breed of woman that that needs to be taken seriously, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know, feminism and all that good stuff." And then, um, not two scenes later, she's using what God gave her to get some information out of uh, out of the sailor, which you know it sort of makes sense. And I'm going to kind of preface this by saying I don't personally mind in films, especially older films. Uh, One things that I kind of enjoy about older films are uh, men can be men and women can be women. Mm -hmm. There's no real blurred lines as far as, you know, um, I'm trying to think uh, the one film that comes to mind that blurs this line to a degree that just kind of makes you uncomfortable is uh, Atomic Blonde, which is basically a, a, a female James Bond. And it just feels unnatural. It's like when you try to inject so much feminism into something, it just becomes unnatural. But there has to be some kind of a balance between a powerful woman. And also, the woman being a woman, if that makes any sense at all.
1: Yeah. I think what um, we talked about before, because I know we've talked about this uh, subject before, is what it comes down to is when they will take a female character and make her uh, kick butt and awesome for no reason. Yeah, And and that's where like atomic blonde and all that it's like well there's nothing else to her there's nothing else to that character other than she's awesome right well okay she's awesome but why is she awesome she's awesome but what are her faults what are and that's the same with any male character i mean i know that they they were popular but i'm not a fan of action movies with just mindless you know meathead male characters either Who are awesome for no reason than to be awesome and there's nothing else to them there has to be some depth to the character and so the problem that you come with uh with a lot of movies that are trying to and and give them credit for trying to do a better job than older films but there's still missteps in that where they're not giving the characters any more depth than than she's awesome She's awesome because she's awesome and because we make her awesome. And it's like, no, no, there has to be some more to it. Um, And I have no issues with Dr. or Professor Joyce um, using her, for lack of a better term, feminine wiles (laughs) to get information out of the uh, male sailor's. Because that was something where she actually took charge and actually did something that contributed to the plot and contributed to the overall story. That was one of the best scenes to me because she was actually doing something. The rest of the time, she is just there to be stared at by Mr. Creepy Creeperson. (laughs) You're not going to let that guy (laughs) get that oh I just ugh. but no to, <laughs> so to bring weird. it back
0: to this conversation what really what, what uh, conversation about the film rather uh, what really bugged me mm-hmm. about the film was the fact that you see her you see her progressing in her role and in the plot and in the plot to only have her arc be cut short uh, right and then awkwardly trying to be brought back at the very end of the film after everything is all finished
1: Mhm. Yeah, it's it's really the the everything to do with the human characters is so poorly done and so stilted and awkward. Just the only reason that this movie gets a thumbs up at all for me is because of the Ray Harryhausen work and that kind of transitions us into the positive sides of this film so what are some of the positive things that you want to talk about with this film
0: well Harryhausen the work of mm-hmm. uh, the, the, his work of, on this film because um, um, if you think about it it takes a lot of skill to create a monster with you know, at which we didn't know this at the time with six legs instead of, or six tentacles instead of eight, or six arms instead of eight. Right. Um, but we'll get into that in fun facts. But mm-hmm. um, but his work in Harryhausen's work in general, I'm a huge fan. Of. I, I grew up with Harryhausen. I love Harryhausen's work. I feel like his was the most realistic uh, stop motion animation of anyone who came out. I would, I'm going to even say that his stop motion is even more realistic and even more believable than even Willis O'Brien and some others Mm -hmm. that, that attempted it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that was, so that was one thing that I was going to say, that was one thing that, that really, um, that really impressed me about the film was just how, how Ray or how Mr. Harryhausen was was able to create this was able to translate this creature to screen, and not make him appear and, and not make it appear choppy or awkward in any way. Everything like everything was smooth
1: and mm-hmm. and
0: actually really believable.
1: Yeah, so fluid, so smooth in its in its movements, and uh, I think you're right, this is one of those cases where the student kind of surpassed the master, because right. we know that Ray Harryhausen kind of worked under Willis O'Brien, Willis O'Brien kind of helped mentor him, but then Ray Harryhausen's work just kind of supersedes uh, O'Brien's work, because uh, it just, he took what Willis O'Brien and a lot of those early uh, stop motion animators were doing and then just made it better mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then I don't think anyone has ever reached the same level that Ray Harryhausen has in giving the stop motion creatures personality like there's personality even in this giant octopus there's a personality there it feels like a living breathing thing and that's something that Harryhausen was just a master at one thing I wanted to note, um, this was the third film that Harryhausen had done where he was the lead special effects or the lead stop motion on. I think it was uh, Mighty Joe Young, tw- uh, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, and then this one.
2: Yeah, I think, think you
1: right. I think it's, so this is the third one. Uh, we reviewed, me and Steven reviewed Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Uh, a few months ago or a couple of months ago. And one thing that I notice in this movie that you didn't see in Beast from 20,000 Fathoms is the destruction uh, yes, in, tw- yes. in Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. If you notice the, the buildings don't really get destroyed in it. The, the creature just kind of stomps around and terrorizes uh, Brooklyn and everything. And, and it does destroy Um, part of Coney Island, but that's, that's it. There's no real actual building destruction, building, getting knocked down, things like that. But with this movie, you do get that you get, of course, the major scene where the octopus climbs up and crushes and destroys the golden gate bridge. You have Mm -hmm. tentacles coming in and tearing down parts of San Francisco and huge buildings and everything. And you can see the progression of Harryhausen's work, how he's becoming more confident and better at the blending of the special effects and miniatures with the real life, live action acting.
0: Right, he definitely came. By the time this film came along, he had definitely come. He it wasn't. I don't. I wouldn't call this film perfect. This is not a perfect representation of Harryhausen, but this is right. high up. This is high up here, high up there. Yeah. Because as you pointed out with base with the Beast from Twenty Thousand Phantoms, there was very little to no destruction, Uh right. and I don't. I don't. I don't know if that was just because they couldn't figure out how to do it realistically. Or if Harryhausen just was not confident in his skills um, to make it appear realistic, so it was sort of just mm-hmm. resorted. It's just sort of resorted into something more like more along the lines of a puppeteer than an actual um, maquette, realistic looking maquette placed in the middle of, of a city that's you know right. interacting, interacting with with city element, with interacting with things in its environment in a realistic way. Whereas yeah. in this film, the octopus is. Uh, interacting with the bridge, its buildings, the people. Um, uh, shoot, the scene where the octopus sticks its tentacle through the window of the of the of the building was was interesting to me.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: uh, and just all around, like the I think the when when it when the when the tentacle came on to the bridge for the first time, the like the crushing of all the vehicles and and the crack oh, yeah. and the cracks in the in the in the Golden Gate Bridge and how realistic that kind of stuff looked. Um, Yeah, this was this was this was a really good film in the respect that the visuals that came from this film are ones that should be celebrated and should be um, should be looked at as a clinic on how to do it right.
1: Right. Yeah. And and I'm remembering now that there was a scene in Beast from 20,000 Fathoms where the Redosaurus attacks and destroys the lighthouse. Of course, that's one of the scenes in that. You're You're right. You're right but that's the only bit of like building interaction that the that the creature has he doesn't really interact with a lot of the other buildings and i think that that was you know i i think a big part of it is the skill level of harry is kind of uh increasing because if you look at movies that came out after this, there's more of it, even mm-hmm. more. Uh, each time you go into another movie after this, you see more and more of how the creatures are interacting with uh, the, the the environment around them. Until you get to the point where in Sinbad, uh, the seventh voyage of Sinbad, and the skeleton, uh, uh, the skeleton sword fighter actually jumps over the live action mm-hmm. uh actor who's laying on the ground. So it's like they interact with the environment so well. So he you can really see the progression of Harryhausen's work and it starts here with this creature, the the octopus which is not really an octopus. <laughs>
0: right. Uh yeah, I'm glad you actually brought that up because uh one of the fun facts from this film is that Harryhausen only made Uh, six arms for the octopus instead of eight but due to some of the cinematography and the way he positioned the model Mm -hmm. you can't really tell
1: right yeah and and back at this point in time actually i think through his entire film history or up until the later films that he worked on it was his father who was actually doing the machining for the uh, armature that that would become the creature. Uh, So when they did it, they said, well, it's just we couldn't afford to give it eight arms, and eight arms would also be a little too unruly on screen all at the same time. So they went with six of them. So uh, I like that Ray Harryhausen liked to call it a 6 instead of (laughs) an octopus.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Uh, I mean, I just... You know, Harry. I can gush about Harryhausen's work all day, and I think that's. I, I think going into this conversation, that's sort of what we anticipated anyway, because you know Harryhausen was able to take a lackluster film with an unoriginal mm-hmm. plot and make it interesting just by his visuals
1: alone. Yeah, yeah, I, and and I, I definitely that is the highlight of this film. That's the thing that I. I still, and we'll get into the Godzuki score in a minute, but I, even though this is my least favorite Harryhausen film, I still encourage people who like giant monster movies to watch this movie because of Harryhausen's uh, work, you know, it's like, I may not like everything in this film, and it may be one of my least favorite of the Harryhausen filmography, but I still think that this is an important film in the giant monster genre. And I think everyone should see it, even if it's just for that San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge scene, where it's just tearing the Golden Gate Bridge down. That is such a fantastic scene.
0: One thing that I did find interesting about this film was all the scenes where they're inside the submarine were filmed Mm -hmm. inside an actual submarine. Right. Uh, Which... uh, if you've never, I'm sure there's probably service members who listen to the show, uh, and mm-hmm. I had I had the pleasure of going to uh, Pearl Harbor uh, last April. Oh wow! And we got to go inside uh, one of the submarines there, and I did not realize, or at least films don't make it uh, very clear as to how cramped those things are. Yes. So I can only imagine how cramped and how hot and actually how difficult it was to get actors and a camera crew inside those little spaces inside the submarine. So, which, you know, which makes me respect this film a little bit more because, you know, they, they did that and they were able to Mm -hmm. do Harryhausen and his team was able to do so much on such a little budget. I think, um, I was reading through some of the facts about this movie and, uh, let's see uh, I think for the budget for this film was hundred and fifty thousand dollars which translate to only I think approximately 1 million four hundred and thirty nine dollars or sorry one million four hundred and thirty nine thousand five hundred and ninety seven dollars USD which which would have been its equivalent in 2019 2020 in a wor- in a world where um you can't make a film for anything under, say, 100 to 150 million dollars. So, right. it's, it was amazing to me what they were able to do on such a small budget. And I think, again, um, the fact that Harry Hausen was able to make such an interesting film or such an, uh, such, a, make a, uh, an uninteresting film interesting by his work. And with such a small budget and with actually, I think, if I'm not mistaken, a very minimal team as well was just Mm -hmm. it's just a testament as to how good he actually was.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I encourage anyone who likes Giant Monsters and who hasn't seen this movie um, or likes special effects, if you like stop motion go watch this movie because that is, it's definitely worth seeing. So um, that's going to transition us into our Godzuki scores. So for anyone who is a new listener, we give our score out of five Godzukis because Godzuki was Godzilla's bumbling uh, nephew in the 1970s Godzilla cartoon. And so we pay homage to the great Godzuki by making him our measure for all of the films that we review. Absolutely. <laughs> so, out, out of five Godzukis, what would you give? It came from beneath the sea.
0: Oh man. Okay, so probably my answer is going to be a first for the po- for the podcast, and I'll give my score, and then I'll give just sort of a brief explanation of how I come up with that score. Um, my score for this film is going to be two and three quarters out of five. <laughs>
2: okay, and,
0: and the reason is. Uh, when I first watched this film, I watched it uh, knowing some knowing something about it, and at first, I gave this film three and a half. I gave it I gave it three and a half out of five. So, watching it a second time, I had to take nostalgia and all the things that I loved about Harryhausen's work out of the equation. And so, mm-hmm. after some critical thinking and you know thinking about the plot, the the actors, uh, and, and all of that stuff. I ended up with a score of two and three quarters uh, as opposed instead of a clean two and a half or a two because simply I gave it that quarter. I gave it that at quarter point simply because I liked Harry house's work in this film so much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can understand that and I can respect that. Um, For me, I would give it two and a half. Uh, I'm giving it just a flat two and a half, um, Godzukis, uh, because, yeah, it is my least favorite, uh, of the Harryhausen films. It's not one of my favorite giant monster films overall, uh, but there is still stuff that's redeemable in it. And it's still hugely watchable. But you have to remember that it, if you're taking it as a film, as the entire film, the Not just the parts uh, that Harryhausen uh, was responsible for. It it really falls short. It's the Harryhausen's work that elevates it at all. Right. So taking the entire film into account, I'm only giving it two and a half Godzukis.
0: I was probably a little bit more kind than I should have been. But again, I gave it that extra. No, no. I gave it that extra a little bit simply because I'm a fan of, of Harryhausen's
1: work. Yeah, yeah, well, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. There's no right or wrong answers here. Yet, yet. there's no right or wrong answers yet. (laughs) Yet. When we get to the Godzilla animes and we review those, there might be some right or wrong answers there. (laughs) Um... Any other fun facts that we want to toss out there before we move on?
0: No, I think we covered pretty much the. I think we covered pretty much the most interest, interesting parts of it. If you want to, um, if you want to bring it back to a little bit of history, um, there was uh, a cameo by uh, the Frank, the USS Franklin D. Roosevelt in the film, which is a a mm-hmm. big aircraft carrier a big war battleship. Um, so a yeah, famous yeah. a famous battleship got to have a cameo in the film which was pretty cool if you're into history and and all the and all those things that go along with it.
1: Yeah. And we touched on in the trivia question how uh they needed a permit to film the Golden Gate Bridge uh for this movie and the city officials had actually denied it because in the script it showed the Golden Gate Bridge being destroyed and so the way that they filmed uh, on the Golden Gate Bridge was by sneaking onto it. They basically, they took a bread truck and they loaded the cameras into the back of this bread truck and closed the doors. And then whenever there were no vehicles around, they would open the doors and quickly film the golden gate bridge and then close it back up mm-hmm. so that no one knew that they were actually filming on the golden gate bridge right. and getting those scenes, those establishing shots and stuff. So uh, it's funny how they had to kind of be a little clandestine <laughs> with their filming. All right. Um, anything else? Any final thoughts before we move on to the mailbag? Uh, No, not really. I mean, it's,
0: it's, it's not required watching for a kaiju fan, but if you want to watch it, then I'm sure there's going to be a lot of it you're going to enjoy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. All right. So let's jump into the next segment, which is our mailbag. Now, last week I, I failed to actually give the email address and the Twitter for people to reach out to us to be able to have your Uh, letters submitted to our mailbag, so I'm sorry for that. If you were a new listener who just started last week, um, it'll be in the episode description. But uh, So just real quick, if you want to send us something in to be read out on the podcast, you can do it. Uh, You can email us at kaijuweekly at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at kaijuweekly. So uh that's the two ways. That's the best ways to reach out to us. We also have an Instagram account that just started, which is Kaiju Weekly Pod uh, that is on Instagram. You can check that out too. Um, but the best ways to get your mail uh, sent to the mailbag is through email or through Twitter and we will read it out and we love hearing from you. So please do that. Absolutely. So our first letter in our mailbag is from a fellow podcaster because i mentioned last week how that is the only people who i am friends with now who uh (laughs) send in mail uh it's a a man by the name of sam young he has a uh really interesting podcast where he goes into the actual science and biology and uh physiology of giant monsters and other creatures and in film and uh, and talks about their their real life science, but also their the science of how they would work in the universe that they're in. Hmm. Um, and so it's a really interesting podcast. People can check it out. I think we uh, talked a little bit about this last
0: episode where I said that I would love to have some kind of textbook that right sort of explains the the Toho the pseudoscience that Toho uses to explain some of its characters. So. That sounds really interesting
1: yeah, yeah, uh cinematica Animalia okay uh is the name of that podcast, um and he is going to be a guest on this podcast at some point in the future, so Sam, we're reading out your question now, but you will be on the podcast soon, I promise, um, but his question is, what would it take in a giant monster movie to make you angry about something being too unrealistic
0: um well, I feel like to. I feel like to watch a giant monster movie, you have to sort of go into it with the expectation that, that they're going to be some very unrealistic things and you know, giant monsters in themselves are very unrealistic. So, right. I honestly don't think that there's anything that could turn me off. Uh, that could be so unrealistic that would turn me off. Now there are other things that would turn me off of a movie. Uh, like if, right. if something, um, is just kind of slamming politics in your face constantly and they're not doing it in a more subtle way. That turns me off because, you know, I think we get enough politics as it is, uh, with social media and day to day life that I don't really want to watch that in, uh, in my film. A little bit is okay, but not all of it in your face all the time. But honestly, I don't think that there's anything as far as unrealistic that would really turn me off. I mean, I've seen some pretty unrealistic films and i still enjoy those.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm the same way. Uh, I think I'm more forgiving of giant monster films and creature features kind of just because there is that level of, uh, you have to suspend your belief. Right. Um, a little bit, and you know, uh, Pacific Rim comes to mind. You know, the idea of them taking and building giant robots to fight these giant monsters instead of just building something over top of the trench and preventing that yeah. prevents the monsters from coming through is kind of you know in that line of like it doesn't make sense, but who cares? It's giant monsters versus giant robots. It's, That's what I'm there for. It's not a it's not
0: an A and E or a his or a History Channel documentary. It's a sci-fi film.
1: Right. Yeah. Now, the thing that will get me, though, sometimes is when a movie establishes rules and then immediately breaks them. Oh, yeah. Um, like, if you establish in your movie that these creatures are biological, but then you throw in some kind of magic mysticism thing in mm-hmm. there, that throws it off for me. Um, one thing that kind of throws, throws it off for me is, when creatures change size unexpectedly and without explanation, mm-hmm. um, I mean Godzilla versus Megalon. With when uh, um, Jet Jaguar just suddenly grows gigantic is one of those situations. Um, I don't hate the film, but that's just like I don't really care f- so much for that.
0: Well, there's a lot of that in the Ultraman series too, where there's they they grow to large sizes and there's not any explanation as to why.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now. In the Ultraman, I'm a little bit more forgiving of it because I kind of tie it into, well, we don't know the biology of these aliens. That seems more like that's just the thing that those aliens do. That's fair. <laughs> For some reason, humans got the short end of the stick. We can't change size, but every other alien species can do it in uh, Ultraman. And I mean, and I'm a huge Power Rangers fan, and that's a, a thing that is a, is part of the Power Rangers mythos is the monsters come back, you know, bigger. So I'm not fully against it, but when it's just thrown in there without explanation or without precedent, yeah. That's when I don't like it. Magic
0: wand make my monster grow
1: monster (laughs) grow yes yes okay oh moving on uh uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, hopefully we answered your question uh sam young it was it was a head scratcher it took me a little while to think of something to answer um to be able to answer it because i just i had to stop and think um, so going to another podcaster who is a friend of the show, David Marshall from the Kaiju Apostle podcast, uh, sends us another question. He says a lot of people are loving the Monster Verse and how dark in tone King of the Monsters uh, seem to be. However, you still have people who want to see a return to the feel of old, uh, of old. And Shin Godzilla was a good blend of CGI with a tokusatsu charm. So, would you like to see a return to form, even if we aren't using men in suits? At least with the way shots are framed and overall aesthetics.
0: I'm so, gonna uh, give me a minute to think about this. I'll go ahead and let you answer first, because uh, I want to get
1: my okay. I want to get my thoughts together. Okay. Um, I'll go ahead and answer. Uh, and uh, give my thoughts. Um, leave it to David to give us a long question with a lot of that takes a lot of thought (laughs) because that is just sums up exactly what their podcast is all about that really deep thought and analysis um for me i definitely want more classic um aesthetics brought into the franchise um i think king of the monsters actually has done a good job with it though i mean when you're talking about bringing back the old school tone and feel you kind of have to clarify what do you mean? Because the Godzilla franchise ran the gambit of being, you know, extremely dark and extremely foreboding in Gojira. But then by the time you get to Godzilla versus Megalon, Godzilla versus Gigan, it was kind of silly and goofy. And so when you're talking about uh, bringing back the tone of the classic Godzilla films, which, classic Godzilla films are you talking about? Um, because I feel like King of the Monsters did a decent job of capturing some of the feel of the more uh, I would say the mid-level Showa era where it's Godzilla versus other monsters, but it's not quite at that kid-friendly level that Gaigan and Megalon had reached. So something more of like Godzilla versus G- uh, Ghidorah or Ghidorah, the 3 headed monster, mm-hmm. something along the lines of um, Godzilla versus Monster Zero. I think that tone was uh, brought into King of the Monster. So I feel like they did that. Now, from the future Toho films that they're going to make, they say they're going to make, they're working on them or they're going to work on them, would I like to see them go back to a more classic feel as in contrast to what they're doing now with the anime and with Shin Godzilla. Yes, because I am not a huge fan of Shin Godzilla. I appreciate it for what it is and I still kind of like it to a certain degree, but I'm not the biggest fan of it. I am definitely not the biggest fan of the anime trilogy. So as far as Toho is concerned, I would like to see them go back to, a more traditional feel for Godzilla.
0: What Shin really, what, <clears throat> excuse me, what Shin did a really good job at is, uh, giving you a sense of, of size, scale, and weight. And I think I'm trying to parse, the, I'm trying to parse out his question in a way that sort of makes sense. Cause it, it kind of makes sense in my head. So I'm hoping that it translates as it's coming out of my yeah. mouth. So, um, whereas KOTM was, very showa-ish very showa-ish uh in terms of we got as far as monster fights go we were uh very voyeuristic like we just saw wide shots of the monsters fighting mm-hmm. each other there's really there was really no real sense of scale now they did a really I agree they did a really good job with the reveal of King Ghidorah and Godzilla in the Ar- in the Antarctic that was a really good sense of scale because you got that um you got the human perspective uh from mark mm-hmm. from mark russell as the as the two titans are battling it out and we got some of that in boston but the majority of the bo- of the battle in boston was very showa showa is showa isk okay there we go showa isk yeah. <laughs> um and the whole film was just sort of followed that same vein but i understand what he's saying uh what i want to see it return to that yeah i think i, I think i would because i feel like Shin was a a better representation of what actually would happen if we had a uh, a giant monster attack, uh, either the mainland United States or mainland anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. for that matter. Uh, it mm-hmm. was a better representation of what actually what would happen between the government and between the the in the infighting within the government and taking way too long. And that's really what Shin was about was just the government's right slowness or lack of um um. Uh, lack of ability to respond in a timely manner. That's what that film was really about, and it was uh, uh, <clears throat> it was dark. Uh, I I I think I would like to see Toho return to sort of a more uh, a realistic, serious, dark side of their of their films because I feel like um, not everything is or can be like this heroic um, super Superman or superhero moment, sort of like what like what like right. King of the Monsters was. Uh, now, I I, I I, know a lot of fans love King of the Monsters. I know a lot of fans hate King of, Monst- King of the Monsters. I personally fall into the camp of I love it because I am a fan of the Showa-era films. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the most Showa-era film that we've gotten as far as... In the last 10 years, it's the most Showa-era film that we've gotten. Um, right. I wish I had a better answer for it, but... Um, you know I, I really would like to see them return to sort of the more traditional uh ways of shooting their shooting their um their sh- their films to give us a really good sense of scale to give us a really right. sense of, uh, of dread and destruction sort of like what the original um uh the original gojira was in 54
1: mm-hmm. yeah and and actually uh, while you were talking, I was listening, so don't <laughs> feel like I wasn't listening. But I started thinking about uh, there was a video that came out recently from a YouTube channel that you're probably familiar with called Up From The Depths. Yes. Um, and they do a lot of in depth analysis of kaiju films and, and especially Godzilla and Gamera and ones like that. Uh, and recently they were talking about the Heisei period for Gamera versus the Heisei period for uh, Godzilla, and they talked a lot about the cinematography and how in the Heisei era for Godzilla, it was a lot of wide angles and wide shots mm-hmm. and a lot of just sh- to be able to show the full right. you know, monster designs and them just crashing into each other and fighting and stuff. And so you didn't get that sense of scale that you got in the Showa period. So I think maybe... Uh, while I, while me and you both say that in tone, the King of the Monsters feels the most Showa era, it, maybe the cinematography actually feels more Heisei,
2: mm-hmm.
1: period, right. Uh, in the wide angles and, and showing the monsters fighting and trying to show the full shot, not uh, those low angles, those kind of only seeing parts of the monsters at, at a time because they're so big and everything Uh, maybe something that Gareth Edwards was better at than what Michael Doherty was uh, in the 2014 Godzilla seemed to be a little bit more, you know, balanced in the way that it was shot, capturing that scale.
0: It Um, it was. Yeah. So
1: I, I, it was
0: and I think 24, um, I think 2014 was really good at that. And then when Michael Doherty took over as, as the director for King of the Monsters, he was just trying. I always say that King of the Monsters was a love letter to to the fan base, uh, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And so he was just trying to correct some of the critiques from the fan base about 2014, mm-hmm. where you you got very little shots of the monsters. You got uh, you got these low angle. Uh, you got these low angle shots where you don't really see a whole lot and the and the camera pans way too much it, it's uh 2014 mm-hmm. is very chaotic and i think that um whereas king of the monsters was chaotic in a different way 2014 was right. chaotic in the way that it just sort of it showed a really it showed a its cinematography was done really well in in the sense that it showed us sort of what would what would be seen from a human's perspective but mm-hmm. that's not necessarily always uh, that ne- so that necessarily doesn't always translate well to to screen i like cloverfield always comes to mind when stuff like that and right cloverfield yeah. cloverfield did a really good job of showing size and scale but the shaky cam the the constant panning and looking and it just it just felt way too chaotic and um yeah i just didn't i just didn't really care much for it
1: Yeah, and I think uh, bottom line, too, to answer um, David Marshall's question, um, I don't think we're ever going to be able to capture the magic of the classic Godzilla films the way that they were able to. That was just such a unique experience. Now, will we come close? Will they be able to do a decent job? Will they be able to make good films? That's up to who's you know, the one making it, I hope so. but I just, yeah. I and mean, we hope that they make good films, but, um, but yeah, it is really hard to capture that magic again. So um, the best we can hope for is that they will try and they will come close. All right. Uh, any other thoughts? Michael? No, uh, I count,
0: you know, always count on David to, to bring up a question that
1: you don't always have a great answer to right yeah one that that takes a lot of thought yeah exactly <laughs> all right well that's it for the mailbag and the only other thing i'm going to do is i want to ask the trivia question that is going to hint to our next episode and it's a good one so, it's a good
2: one
1: yeah it's a good one so n- the trivia question for next episode is what aspect of the ultraman design did the original designer not like and attempted to fix in the following series, Ultra 7. So that's, that's it. So we're, we're, go ahead and spoil this much of it. We're returning to Ultraman <laughs> and I, I, for the next episode. I am
0: excited, and it is just in time to help us cap off Ultra Month within the groupie. So I'm super excited yeah. about
1: that. Yeah, and since you brought that up, I'll go ahead and plug Kaiju Groupie, the Facebook group, Go check it out. Right now we are doing you know, uh, Ultra Month. It's all Ultraman themed. So if you are a fan of Ultraman or a new fan of Ultraman, go check out Kaiju Groupie. It is a lot of fun. Absolutely. Uh, we look forward to having you guys there. Yeah. And if you want to send in a response to that question that I just asked, you can do it. Again, you can tweet us at Kaiju Weekly on Twitter and you can also send us an email kaijuweekly at gmail.com it doesn't matter if you get the answer correct or if it's wrong or if you make up a funny answer <laughs> I'll still read it out and give you a shout out on the podcast and, because we just love hearing that interaction and I'll
0: make sure to also Travis I'll make sure to post it in the group uh, probably sometime starting next week and let people chew mm-hmm. on that for a little while uh, and see how many answers we get
1: yeah yeah excellent so we're hoping to have plenty of responses to read out for that episode and i'm looking forward to it so i want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of kaiju weekly whether you're a new person who's just started listening to us or whether you've been with us since the first episode we really appreciate you and if you would please give us a good review on itunes if you review us and write a nice review we will read it out on the podcast because i love seeing the reviews that you guys have uh five stars is the ideal response to give us but you know <laughs> uh and so uh also really enjoyed having you here again this week michael I thoroughly enjoy having this conversation with you. It was a lot of fun.
0: Uh, in fact, it was uh, it lasted a lot longer than I really expected it to. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it was a good discussion. I'm looking forward till ne- I'm looking forward to the next time we get to 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 talk about our favorite uh, movies and TV shows. So, like Travis said, next time is going to be Ultraman, and hopefully that'll be just as fun a discussion as these last two have been
1: yeah so we're looking forward to that for next week so everybody come back and listen next week and until then i'm going to close out by saying help control the giant monster population have your giant octopus spayed or neutered <laughs> can you even neuter an octopus
0: <laughs> oh that i'm not even gonna go there
1: <laughs> all right we'll see you next Thank, time guys thanks
0: guys yeah.